Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. squad and welcome to ranks fc it's your favorite football podcast back for another week my name is jack collins and i will be your host today and we are back at full compliment i'm delighted to announce that the rank of mr sam Tai has returned to us post injury i'm back baby how are you yeah well you can speak which is a start right we're uh it's very enjoyable we uh, had to go last minute on it last week with you uh with that last minute injury but you know this is the way of football world right I had a really good ranking sorted, man. I was really gutted. I'd spent like most of the night before playing football on the Monday night, sort of tapping it all out. And I was really pleased with it as well. I'm pretty annoyed, but hey, it's maybe okay. we'll, re- we can, we we'll revisit it, it in like point. a month or something. Absolutely. When it all have changed and you'll have to redo it again and have to probably think about it all over again. Um, and of course, it's our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. Yeah, such a busy time. My laptop's actually gone bust, so I'm on. Um, I'm working on a potato today. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm working on the oldest laptop of all time, which is Taylor's uh, work one. Uh, it's rubbish, but so I'm. I'm just relieved to even see you two, to be honest, um, because this recording didn't look very likely about ten minutes ago when my one decided it's it's not going to charge anymore. Um, but here we are. My the resolution is so bad that my eyes look like they're glittering because the, the screen just can't keep every time I move there's like these glimmers all over the screen it's, maybe that's just how you look mate maybe that's just maybe that's how, how I look through the transfer doing. window yeah no, <laughs> look for Jan well look talking of uh old old models that have been taken out of retirement um do you want to start us off with things we love I think I'm a supermodel that's been out of retirement for a while <laughs> I want to talk about Superman himself, Roy Hodgson. He's coming back, baby. Roy Hodgson is coming to save the day one last time. Um, he's 74 years old, yet still, there is nobody better equipped out there that Watford could think of to save them in this post-Claudio Ranieri um, era than the man that they actually had at Udinese a few years back in Sachs. But they've gone for Roy Hodgson. Um, as we're recording this, it's not all signed and sealed, I don't think. But um, I'd heard about this at the weekend and I was, I was told on Saturday that Watford wanted Hodgson um, and then they approached him on Monday. Um, and this is a man that has, um, you know, pretty much quite, quite an ego about him. You know, he, he, likes to, he likes to be loved. He likes to show that he's, he's good at what he does. And even though he was sat there in retirement, he's out. He's coming out just for one last show for a few months. Um, so catch the farewell tour of Roy Hodgson if you can. He's got 20. He's got, well, he's like 20. a wrestler that just doesn't know when to quit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's face it. He can't do any worse than Claudio Ranieri. He's absolute rubbish. Um, he was at Watford for 16 weeks. He won two of 13 league games without victory in nine games in all competitions. Um, they're horrible to watch Watford. Um even when they did win those two games, you know, they, they thrashed Everton 5 2 and Man United 4 1. But somehow there was still wasn't that convincing that there was a pattern forming. It was just like one off performances, or in case of the Everton match, it was like a 20 minute performance, wasn't it? They got them the win. Um, so, yeah, here we go. Roy Hodgson, can he rescue Watford from relegation? I mean, he's definitely got a good chance because as the table is right now, uh, Watford, they are second to bottom in the league. But they're on 14 points. Watford are the side just outside it right now on 16. He's got 18 games left to turn it around. He will do it. Roy Hodgson will save the day. And I love it. He's going to do it again. Mm, well, interesting. I mean, there's lots of narrative here going on. And first is that next to him is almost certainly going to be Ray Lewington because that's how it works. You know, one of the great managerial partnerships of all time. Um, but with that, Ray Lewington will be returning to Watford where he was manager for three years. He, you know, in the way that he did with, with Fulham years beforehand. And uh, Crystal he, Palace. He was Crystal Palace manager as well. Yeah, and, and Brentford manager, for, you know, briefly at one point. Things that we... Uh, They'll we, probably go there at some point then. Yeah, well, it's, it's, <laughs> you can't rule it out at this point. But um, I think that if I'm not mistaken, Lewington took uh, a, a Watford club that were very, you know, very limited in terms of what they had to spend. Um, I think they got to two semi-finals in the cup. 
um, in, in, in the FA Cup and the League Cup in, in the early 2000s. So Ray, Ray going back to Watford is going to be something that I think people like. Um, the other thing that we, we have to be aware of is the fact that Roy Hodgson is going to go and meet up and team up with Harry the Hornet. And uh, things that are very important that you might not remember, I think it was 2018 when he was in charge of Palace, um, the mascot was winding up the crowd, the Watford mascot, winding up the Palace fans. Um, he basically did all this di- dives on the floor every time Wilfred Zaha got the ball. And uh, Roy Hodgson said that his behaviour was disgraceful. Um, so <laughs> you've got to consider that this is going to be brought back together. Are they going to have an amicable reunion? Um, if Watford are smart, this is how they'll announce Hodgson, isn't it? They have Dress him in their Harry Hornet. He'd be like the masked singer, but everyone knows what's going on. I don't think he'd agree to it. I've got to say, I don't think he'd agree to it. This is a man that's very serious about his work. And if yeah. It, yeah, well. he's put on, a, on an unveiling with a hornet, he's, you know, a 50 year old man dressed up or whatever it is, then uh, not sure it takes too well. But yeah, I, I'm up for all of it. Let's, let's see what he can do here. This is fun. It's all white. It's six well, months of the final game. It's probably not fun, but it's going to be a, it's going to be good for Watford because they'll probably stay up. Well, we shall see. We shall see. Right, Sam. What's your thing? We love. Yeah, for me, I'm going to go to Germany for this one. And and what I'm loving at the moment is this um this this show of resilience from two German clubs in particular, Borussia Dortmund and RB Leipzig, who have had different. Uh, first half of the season for sure and for different reasons we've sort of questioned them Uh, we've learned to be very cautious with Dortmund just generally speaking over the last five or six years but Leipzig really they really started quite poorly this season and it never really got any better until they changed their managers and now over the course of 2020 or just the back end of 2021 um, actually they're starting to show a bit of resilience here and they're starting to change the makeup of the Bundesliga table a little bit Dortmund have won three incredibly important games in a row and they've got two more left. And if they win all five, it might just catapult them back into what we thought was probably a very unlikely title challenge. And yep. these are the games that Dortmund, we're asking We're asking Dortmund these questions like, can you hold your nerve and can you win these really important games against these teams around you? And those games are Eintracht, Frankfurt, Freiburg, Hoffenheim. They've beaten those three. And next up is Bayer Leverkusen and Union Berlin. Now, the lowest team in that list is ninth in the table and most of them have been within a place of each other for the whole time that they've played them and if Dortmund can get through these next two games it changes quite a lot for them I think it earns them a bit more respect in terms of their mental resilience and it might just open this title challenge back up because in in this little streak of three wins Dortmund have managed to close the gap to Bayern Munich to six points from nine and if they continue to win you never quite know in this strange season you never quite know and down to Leipzig, who are now, well, they've catapulted themselves up to sixth because they really were like quite low down. They were in the bottom half of the table. But since Domenico Tedesco has taken charge, he's won five of his seven games. The defense has been shored up quite considerably. The clean sheets are starting to roll in. The XGA, the expected goals allowed figures are dropping and it's all looking quite positive there. And I don't know, the, the, the recent hallmarks of the Bundesliga seasons, it's needed a healthy Dortmund and it's needed a healthy RB Leipzig in that top four to make it feel proper. And we're starting to edge towards that. Now, I'm not saying that Leipzig are going to be back in this title race. They're still like 10, 11 points off Dortmund, who are six off Bayern Munich. But all of a sudden, from bottom half, they've sort of pushed themselves back into this top four contention and are now looking quite possibly on for third again, amazingly, after just a little mini run of something. They've had a little charge, haven't they? And mm. and I mean, look, we, we talk about the fact that you know, Leipzig had a good squad this year. Um, we've seen, we've talked about Christopher and Kunku about how good he has been and how just ridiculous his consistency, his form, his numbers have been throughout the whole season. Um, and perhaps the best thing that Jesse Marsh did as Leipzig manager was unlock that version of Nkunku. Mm. Now they're seeing you know a, a turn up for the books, a turn up in form that has uh, has changed things a little bit. They're probably the favourites to win the DFB Pokal now. With mm. you, yeah. you look at who's out of it, you look at Bayern out of it. Dort- out of it you look at the teams left and you think I'll be Leipzig are sitting there going this is probably a tournament we should now win which is which is massive and it'll be a good silverware for for them to pick up as well Um, and and there's just kind of a lot going on in in these regards that we we didn't think was going to happen at the start of this season Dortmund on a charge which is 
it's not always been pretty, has it? They've they've won dirty hmm. a couple of the last times, and I don't mean that in the kind of you know dirty tackles or dirty challenges. They've just won kind of games that perhaps they weren't brilliant in and that's how you that's how you keep that's how you keep pace that's how you keep touch mm. if you're a, if you're chasing in a title race um, and like you say if they can win these next two as well there's definitely something on there we've criticized their mentality in the past winning these five in a row would be a massive boost to that it would yeah although there's still a bit of the old Dortmund in there because in this run of great form that we talked about they have lost in the Pokal to St Pauli yeah. who are in the second division. So there's still a little bit, of the old, little bit of the old Dortmund in there. But look, it's, it's going around. Bayern got battered by Gladbach and then Gladbach lost. And yeah, most of the big, bigger sides and the major sides are, are out of the Pokal at this point. So the Pokal is, is his own little pot of crazy that we can just leave aside. And for, for now. now, at least in the league, Dortmund and Leipzig have picked up the pace big time and are threatening to do something quite interesting. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Right. I'm going to take us to AFCON for my nice. thing I love this week. Uh, and I want to talk about Comoros, who were out, well, were dumped out of AFCON last night by Cameroon, um, but won, I think, every heart in the world that was not Cameroonian with this performance. So just a context, Comoros, 132nd in the FIFA World Rankings. Cameroon are 50th. And then on top of that, uh, Comoros had 12 players out through COVID and injury, including all three of their goalkeepers. Um, it did originally look like they were going to be allowed one of their goalkeepers back Back. Uh, they, the rules were basically like if you tested negative and you spent 24 hours, you know, and you tested negative again, you were allowed to come out and play. Um, those rules were changed um, yesterday in a, in a bit of a strange twist of fate. Uh, that meant that the home nation Cameroon had to play against a team that didn't have a recognised goalkeeper. Um, in fact, and we you know heard on the commentary, Commerce were pretty delighted just to be able to field a subs bench um, with the amount of players that had been ruled out of this one. But you go to it uh, and basically Chaka Alhadur is in goal. He's a, a left back. He's literally wearing number three. It's hilarious. Well, he wore number three taped on on top of his number on his goalkeeper shirt because he didn't want to go on the pitch without his own lucky number. He's five foot eight. Um, for context, that's pretty much the same height as Dean and I. Um, you, you don't want a five foot eight lad in goal. Let's just put it that way. It's not it's not ideal for anyone. And Comoros aren't a big team at the best of times. Um, but anyway, he made some ridiculous saves, um, including a double save in the second half, which I just have no idea how he got to. The reflexes of a cat. Um, it was absolutely unbelievable. Um, but to make things even worse for Comoros, uh, they were down to 10 men after just six minutes after <laughs> captain Jimmy Abdu was sent off. Straight red card via VAR. Now, this card is this is is one of those tackles that is an orange card, right? It's somewhere between a yellow and a red. It's a nasty challenge, but it's not malicious and it's definitely not intentional. He steps on the back of um, a Cameroonian player's heel as he's running back chasing him. Um, and what I thought was missing was any sort of contextual sympathy. Um, and, and that's what I'm after. If it was a malicious straight red challenge, the ref has to send him off. But I don't think it is. I think it's one of those tackles that if he gets a red card in a normal game, you go okay but he's a little bit unlucky I think within the context of this game it's one of the weirdest decisions I've ever seen anyway Comoros do not fold they do not fold with all of these things even with a home crowd and the fact that Cameroon have been excellent this tournament Vince Abubakar has been the top scorer he's been excellent uh, they go 1-0 down in the first half Carl Toko Akambi scores a, a goal that he basically passes into the net and, but it takes Cameroon until the 70th minute to add the second and then Comoros even at that point do not fold and Yusuf Nchangama scores a late 35 yard free kick to keep things interesting it is an absolute screamer it is one of the best strikes of a football I have ever seen and I just think in general the whole thing all of it what happened and look the referee had to be walked off by security because the Comoros players were so angry about some of the decisions that went against them in this game but you know, they won hearts and minds all over the world. And even though they're out, um, this was just a an on-pitch storyline that was absolutely phenomenal. So, yeah, shouts out to Comros, who made an absolute game of it in the most dire circumstances. I think if they'd won, it would have been the biggest upset in the history of football, given the context. I, I'm willing to put that on the table. Um, and they came 
bloody close. Uh, and so I, I'm going to just want to shout out Conros. They were absolutely unbelievable. Uh, work their socks off. Players playing out of position, players playing in unfamiliar places. Uh, some of their best players missing. It really, really, really ridiculous in, in all scenarios. And you wouldn't... You know, you wouldn't have kind of bet on and on, the, on them getting anything, on them not losing 4-5-0. But they, they held on. They were brave. They were, you know, bold. They were bright. Uh, it was an amazing performance. So, shout out, Comros. And just to add on as well, just to remind anyone that's forgotten, this is Comros's first ever AFCON. So, oh, yeah. first, first appearance at the tournament, first progression to the knockout stages. You get the round of 16 game of your dreams. You're against the hosts. You come back from, well, you battled against all of these circumstances and you still put in a, a performance that has got Jack unravelling with joy, which is a hell of an achievement. It was so, so impressive. I'm really, really... I was, I was touched by it. That's how mm. that's how good it was. And right after the break, we're going to be talking transfers. Um, we're going to be splitting rankings between you this week, which is very, very exciting. We don't normally get these kind of joint powers, but we've got a lot to talk about. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Rags FC podcast. It's time for our big ranking. And Dean, you've got the floor first. Yeah, I thought it would be a, a way to do it was that, that Sam takes a few of the more niche topics. Uh, so we'll follow on with those after mine. But I thought we'd begin with like the main storylines kind of of the window so far, but still leading into this this last week of the window, which is shuts on Monday. So um, we've still got a few days. And of course, what actually makes this a bit different, actually, from past years is the fact particularly in England, that there's no football. Everybody, a lot of the players are going on holiday. There's a, there's a winter break. Um, there's no football going on right now. So clubs have actually got time to completely focus on a window. We've seen past windows where there's like, it's deadline day, it's the evening of deadline, and the clubs are literally playing a game. And while they're, <laughs> while they're playing the match, there's transfers happening. There's a it's full all... championship slate of football <laughs> <Yeah>. happening. <laughs> um, and in the Premier League, at least, there, there won't be that to contend with. So... Um, so I've got five storylines and a um, couple of them not as detailed as the others. I'm going to start at five with, with Man United um, because we've seen Anthony Martial's future being resolved in the last 24 hours or so. Uh, a bit of a, a U-turn there for him to end up at Sevilla, who looks like they were dead on this deal um, because they, they couldn't stump up enough of his wages to make it happen. Um, Martial had a door opening for him to go to Juve. But he was really, really set on Sevilla and he really wanted it to happen. And um, I think he's relieved, actually, that they found a way to, to make it all come together. Because for him, he needs a move where, um, you know, Sevilla obviously chasing an unlikely La Liga title. Whereas Juve are chasing the top four, which they are absolutely expected to get. And I think that Martial needs in this moment um, not full expectation on him to deliver, but hope that he can deliver. And I think that at Sevilla, there's that, there's that bridge really where like anything he does from here is going to like elevate them to new levels and will be great. And I think that he can go in there and actually be this, become the star of the season if he likes. Whereas at Juve, you're surrounded by superstars. Everybody expects you to go straight be a kid in school. They want you to be like Chiesa. And if you're not, you'll just be talked again like you were at Man United and you're, you, Confidence could be dented even further. So fair play to him for actually going through and following up on a, on a move that he thinks will actually suit him. So Martial should be happening if it hasn't happened already while you're listening to this very soon. And then on the back of it, we've got these situations of Jesse Lingard, uh, Donny van der Beek and Dean Henderson, which which are going to come into focus as well. Lingard, Heatley, there's no point in making a permanent transfer at this moment in time. People keep reporting that ex-club is going to make a bid for him and try and get him to sign a contract. Well, at the end of this season, Jesse Lingard's a free agent and that means that he has more clubs to pick from and he's also going to get earn more money. So that doesn't suit him. Uh, a loan deal, he's not sure. He definitely wants it, but he does see the potential of going somewhere for the rest of the season and not just putting himself in the shop window for other clubs, but also putting himself back in the shop window at Man United because he feels that if he, he doesn't want to cut his ties with Man United right now because there's a good chance they have a different manager at the end of this season for next season, and he still wants to stay. So he feels that if he was to go to, say, Newcastle, and he scores, I don't know, eight goals, assists five goals, manages to keep Newcastle up, and once again he's had a big impact, Whoever comes in at Man United might be like, come on, we've got to start embracing Jesse Lingard. Let's find a way to get him back in here. So 
that's one to look out for. Obviously, West Ham and still interested in him too, but um, it's complicated in terms also of where for he him up. as well. Like it's it's about it was the World Cup at the end of the year, and Southgate really likes him. Like Lingard nearly made the Euro squad. Um, yeah, I mean, Southgate likes thought, a lot of people. I think he's made he, about ninety-five call-ups in his time in England. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> but Lingard like nearly made, nearly forced his way into that England squad for the yeah. Euros based on a half season at West Ham. And if I were Lingard, I'd be looking at that more than more than almost anything else because like his future he'll get he'll get a new club he'll get to play like whether it's for united or whoever it is in the summer he'll get there but can you launch yourself into the england squad off the back of two months at the start of next season that might be a big ask can you do it from now it's very possible yeah no it's a good point it's definitely a good point i'm sure it is in his mind too as he, as he weighs that up this week um donny van der beek going to be tricky because Man United aren't convinced they should be letting him go right now. But um, I think his representatives are in his ear a bit to, to force this one and, and they want to try and force it too. Um, Everton, Newcastle, Borussia Dortmund, Wolves, all clubs that are kind of monitoring this, hoping that he does become available. Um, obviously a great player um, and really could do with being let out of his cage to go and play football again. <laughs> it, I, I, I just hate it when stuff like this happens. A team you know, signs a really good player and just doesn't use them. It's really frustrating. So hopefully Van der Beek gets let out. And Dean Henderson obviously is trying to force a transfer too. Um, been linked quite heavily with Southampton. Uh, so let's see if he manages to get what he wants as well. There's a couple there then. Uh, ins and outs at Manchester United. Yeah, mainly outs. Yeah, there's a small chance of an in if they get a DM, if they get a DM like Bubica Kamara's being linked again. There's a small chance, but it would have to be a really good deal for them to go through with something. Just a quick one on the Sevilla thing, because there's been links in the last couple of days, obviously, I'm sure we'll get on to Dusan Vlahovic, um, but there has been talk that if Martial comes in, Papu Gomez might be let out um, at Sevilla. Now, he's been playing quite well on on one of the flanks, but it does seem like Sevilla might need to shift some money around if they're going to make things happen. Is there anything you've heard on it? Well, Martial's only uh, alone till the end of the season, so that there's no... But Papu's also 33. Mm. I haven't heard that, but I mean, I guess it's up to the player as well, isn't it? In that circumstance, like maybe it, maybe his nose will be put out of joint for the fact that Martial is coming in. I mean, it's what often happens. I mean, Martial's kind of been forced into this situation because Man United signed three other players that played the same role as him, hasn't they? So, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a domino effect. All right then, mate. What's in at number four? Four. I mean, the Spurs situation, which is finally going to get going because Daniel Levy always leaves it till the last week. And this time it actually really made sense to do so because they've got nothing else to do. Um, they've got ins and outs to consider here. Um, I'm told that um, the guys at Tottenham that have the job of um, kind of helping players relocate um I've been told to prepare themselves for the coming days because they're going to be busy. So um, <laughs> that gives the impression to me that um, at least a few of this current squad are on the way and they've got um, a couple of faces coming in and they're going to have to help them settle. So just to run through exactly where we're at here, um, in midfield, um, they're in talks with Sofian Amrabat. Um, very keen on him. But at the same time, they've been looking into deals for Frank Kessie uh, and Weston McKenney. Amrabat is the one I think that they feel is most doable at this moment. Um, but obviously at the same time, they need a spot to open up in the squad for this midfielder that comes in. And that's why you're seeing them work on new homes for Deli Ali and Dombele and La Celso. Um, so yeah, Amrabat, let's, let's see how those talks come about. Fiorentina, um, obviously uh, in a, other transfer talks at the moment. So that one might take a little bit longer for Tottenham to to nail down, but it's an interesting one. Adama Traore is all agreed. Um, it's not going to be announced just yet, I don't think, but I'm told he's signing a contract until the summer of 2026. So that should be coming through soon for Tottenham, Adama Traore. And then the, the one that's really emerged in the last 24 hours uh, is Mohamed Ali Cho. I don't know if I've pronounced his name right there. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but yeah, Andre and Tottenham in, in talks at the moment over him. 20 million euros is, is being discussed. At the moment, there's an issue with that because Tottenham are trying to haggle. They don't want to pay that. Um, but this is 100%. Uh, it, it came out of left field. but um, And at first, I was like, ah, oh, it doesn't seem like one that's likely to happen. I better make a call anyway. And I made the call. And I said, oh, yeah, 100%. That is somebody that they're pursuing right now. I was like, oh, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jack, you know more about him than I. I've literally never heard of the guy. I love Ali You Chow. have heard of him. We talked well, about him yeah. from Jack, but that doesn't really count. I mean, in the real world. 
in the real world, yeah, outside of this podcast. Outside I really podcast. like him. I really like him. I don't know if he's someone that comes in and starts for Tottenham straight he's 18, away. Isn't he? Yeah. Um, but an unbelievable talent. His ceiling is so, so, so high. Um, he's just he's so fast. Uh, I think this is the thing. Like he's so explosive, so fast. He's a good dribbler as well. Um, he's played kind of either in a front two, which he's done mostly at Angers, but. He's also played wide on the right in a four-three-three for like the France unders teams. Um, so there is, you know, a cup, a bit of versatility in there as well. Um, just it's one of those that is a bit confusing for me right now because I'm not completely convinced that. Tottenham should be looking at a future elements. We're just seeing, you know, reports that Brian Hill might be on his way out to Valencia. If they were doing these kind of deals for future talents to come in and, and make a difference in two, three years' time, then why on earth have they brought Hill in in the summer and sending him out again in, in January? It doesn't really add up in terms of mm. long-term planning, but that shouldn't take away from the fact that Mohamed Ali Cho has been absolutely sensational for Angers. He definitely feel like more of an impact player, I think, than Brian Hill has this season. I think he could have an effect but I don't think he's going to start for Spurs straight away but lovely lovely footballer a real talent mm. they are they are clearly looking at that future aren't they with with Ali Cho with with Brian Hill with uh, with Pape Matt Pape Matassar that they brought in last summer and, and then loaned back out again they've clearly got an eye on it in terms of long-term refresh I, I feel like they could do worse than give Brian Hill a, a go at left wing back against some of the weaker sides in the league to be honest with you I mean just obviously he's an overtly attacking wide man he's not actually a wing back but in those scenarios where you you know when they it took them 98 minutes to score a goal against Watford or something like that but you've got Matt Doherty on the wrong side I was like there's a role for for some of these players here I don't know about Ali Cho though um given he's probably I don't think support- I'd want him as a wing back I, you'd want him no as no a, no I mean I so he's up top so but he's basically son? son he's son's deputy yes. right Absolutely. Um, He's a very, very good off-the-shoulder runner. He's a lovely ball carrier as well. Mm. So there are these things that you'd see would translate into that role straight away. Um, yeah. But I don't think it's going to be displacing Jungmin Son anytime no. soon. Um, so it, it does feel like you know Spurs are looking at players. And look, I, I would say the same for Amrabat, right? We've seen little bits of Amrabat at, at Fiorentina this year. He hasn't played a game since mid December, I think we came off the bench against Sassuolo. I haven't seen him even in the squad for a little while. Um, his total minutes across the course of this season are about, I'd say, sub 300. Um, we're, we're not talking about a player who starts here for Fiorentina, who are, are currently eighth in Serie A. So why would um, they want him? Well, he's quite. Uh, he's good. He is good. Uh, there's, there, there, that's not kind of up for debate. He is a good footballer, um, but it feels like another one who goes into the Spurs rotation rather than improves the Spurs first 11 right now. Um, Mm. I do like Amrabat and I think he's a good player and he probably deserves a little bit more in terms of minutes than he's had at Fiorentina this year. And and to be fair, Fiorentina's midfield has been quite strong. So so there is that to consider. It's been, you know, Bonaventura, Alfred Duncan, Lucas Torreira in there, but then Gaetano Castrovilli. There's a lot of like decent footballers in here who who sit above him, I'd imagine, in the pecking order. And and Italiano loves Yusuf Mala as well. So th- there's mm. those players in front of him. So it makes sense, but um, I, I just don't know if he's someone that immediately improves Spurs. Uh, and that's what I worry about with uh, Ali Cho does as an impact player, sure. But none of these players walk into the Spurs first team. And I think there are people c- crying out for Spurs' first team to be improved right now if they're going to get this top four spot. Well, Adama Traore walks into the first team. That is true. That is true. As a, wing, as a wing back. I'm excited for that. I don't know how that's going to go, but we should all tune in and watch it every week. Yeah, yes, definitely. Okay, so let's get on to, to number three. And um, obviously, I'm not going to go through this uh, section without talking about Newcastle because <laughs> this is their window. We've been waiting for this um, this to get underway, this spending spree. And um, what we've seen so far hasn't exactly um, lit up the Premier League, but it's been okay. It's been okay. But now they need to make some big changes that actually really do shape where they go for for the rest of the season and make sure that they stay in the Premier League. So there are uh, three positions, I guess, that, they're prioritising that's of the creative midfielder. They want a centre back and they want a left-sided defender too. So um, I think it's well documented that they're after uh, Jesse Lingard. Um, they're, they're willing to pay him very well. They're willing to pay a, 
a sizable loan fee as well, which which could help them get that done and probably actually puts them ahead of West Ham in actually getting him as far as Man United are concerned, especially as Man United aren't particularly keen on Jesse going to West Ham right now because they're competing with West Ham for the same league positions. Mm. Um, but Jesse, yeah, he's, he's going to take some persuading still. So uh, we'll, we'll keep saying that he's the priority because he is, but that doesn't mean it's likely. And if it fa- if it falls through, then they'll turn to Deli Alley or Ross Barkley, um, so I'm told. Now, um, obviously, both of those players need, um, well, confidence building and could just do with regular game time. We know what they're capable of, and they, they could be brilliant in a place like Newcastle, where, you know, if, if you start well and you get those fans on side and you end up being the hero, then then you're a legend for, and you'll be get talked about for years to come. Um, I think that, that both of them would be capable of doing that. I think that Delhi, though, is probably slightly ahead of Ross Barkley in their thinking right now. And they know that the Tottenham are happy for him to go. Chelsea would probably let Barkley go too, but I don't think Barkley will go until deadline day. Um, yeah, let's see about Delhi. I'm, I think I'm, I'm concerned about Delhi in terms of his, his mindset right now. Like, well, I know what a good footballer he is, but you know, I've heard links to Leeds recently as well, uh, which I think would be in football terms, great for him to see him play for Bielsa. But, I'm just concerned about the work rate and the attitude and application that we're getting from Delhi at this point of his of his career. But we've seen over the last couple of managers them not really have any faith in him to fill the needs that they need in their systems, and um, that's a big problem for Delhi. And he's got to overcome it quickly. So that'll be an interesting one to see who Newcastle get in that position because it's certainly the most exciting thing that they're looking at right now. The centre-back situation is obviously well um, documented with, with Diego Carlos from Sevilla. They they want um, his release clause now met, which is over £60 million. Um, That's a lot of money. but um, £60 million, uh, Euros, right? I think it's €66 million. Euros, so it's a, uh, it, it's a lot. It is high. It is high. Me, but, it's you know, a lot of money for Diego Carlos. I think Newcastle believed that they were going to get him for less than that, but I think Sevilla are now like, why should we actually? If they want him that badly, we actually need him to stay. If he's going to leave, it has to be um, on our terms. On our terms, and certainly we need maybe beyond like what we actually expect for this guy, because as we talked about earlier on, Sevilla are in the hunt for to try and win the Liga if they can. So um, there's still some hope there. But they're looking at other options. Um, Coletta Carr is somebody that's on their radar. Again, West Ham have looked at him as well for a long time. Like, it seems like those two clubs go in um, after the same profile of player in almost every position at the moment. They also have kind of jumped the queue for Tarkovsky in terms of interest um, and trying to force him out of Burnley. Now, Burnley obviously not happy with Newcastle at all because they've taken Chris Wood off of them. Um, and when they were <laughs> sneakily told that Chris Wood uh, had a release clause, which nobody was supposed to know about. Um, funnily enough, agents put into Newcastle's ear that that was possible, and then they quickly got a deal done. You can't really be mad about this. I'm still perplexed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't really know, but Burnley are, so there you go. Um, and then at left back, it looks like they're signing a Mitchell Backer, um, from Bayer Leverkusen, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're, they're quite advanced with that. It, it's it's not done, so there's still time for it to fall down. Uh, Matt Target, they've also been inquiring about because they're like, well, why not try for him? His place has just been taken. Um, I don't think it's something Villa actually is striving to do. That wasn't why they signed a new left back in Luca Dean. It was it was to raise competition within the squad and hope that everybody hits higher heights. So. Um, they haven't had much of a breakthrough there. And there's still a possibility that we get to deadline day and Newcastle just sign a striker because they're ultimately they're in a team a team that is in dire need of goals and you might as well try and get another striker for the squad if you can. Um, invest whatever it takes right now and to make sure that you can really push the boat out in the summer. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, this is the thing, right? You stay up and then you can you can rebuild. You don't, and the rebuild takes a couple of years longer because you you have to start it from a lower position. And obviously, people are going to be a little bit skeptical about start joining a side in the championship, no matter how much you pay them. Um, so so that's kind of where they're at. But it does feel like things are starting to move in the right direction for Newcastle. Obviously, a couple of decent results of late. I think it's what five points from their last nine. 
Um, and, and then you look at actually where that is. At the time, some of those results felt like bad results. But I think actually in in hindsight, when considering everyone else is is around them, is still dropping points here and there, it, it doesn't seem so bad. Obviously, a couple of names through the door as well, and, uh, and things might look a whole lot brighter uh, over at the tune. Mm. Yeah, uh, definitely. Just to add on to that point, Jack, about scepticism of the championship, and like, I know I keep harping on about it, but like, again, four months before a World Cup, good players are not going to drop to the second tier. It's not going to happen. Yeah, that's a very, very yeah. good point. And talking about a striker, point. by the way, um, obviously Hugo Ekitiki is one of the guys that, that they are um, pursuing. And they're also in talks with Duvan Supata in case he could come. So um, that would be an interesting one. Well, that would be, that would be a Chris Wood as a <laughs> Stick him in a three-five-two and get the ball in the box. Um, it, I mean, it's almost certainly going to work, but uh, we'll see how that one goes. We'll see how that one goes. Who's in at two then, Dean? Well, actually, one and two are linked. So Ooh. at two, it's Arsenal, and at one, it's Juve. And the reason is that um, Juve's plans are basically affecting Arsenal's plans. And yes. um, we'll start just by leading this on Dusan Vlavic, uh, Arsenal. Gave it a go. They thought, let's try and get Vlavic and really make a statement in this window. Um, we know that there's not many clubs that can actually go through with, with pursuing him right now. And we said in our transfer um, podcast that was previewing the window, like, look out for, for Vlavic. Like, it's only a small chance that he leaves this window, but it might happen. And Juve are now trying to make that happen. And to be honest, from what I'm hearing, it very well might happen this window. Um, it's It'll be an unbelievable transfer. Vlavic is personally pushing for this now. Fiorentina didn't want to do business with Juve. Yeah. Um, ultimately, that's not going to matter now because if, if they've got in their ear that um, Vlavic wants to go there, they know that they could get a premium price from him if he goes right now, then they're kind of going to have to just uh, eat it. And obviously, it, it affects Arsenal. And this is what they feared all along was that they'd been told that a deal was already in place with Juve and, um, you know, the kind of gentleman's agreement that that's where he was going to go. But they were like, well, there's nothing in writing. We'll give it a go anyway. Um, but now it, it looks like happening. And look, from what I'm hearing, Arsenal, as a backup option, we've talked about on here before, really like Alex, Alexander Isak. I'm afraid from what I'm hearing, that's not looking good either because I'm told he doesn't actually want to come to the Premier League at this stage and, and isn't actually interested in a transfer to Arsenal. Um, so that's another punch in the stomach for any Arsenal fans. Um, not not ideal. Then we've got, again, there's one more Juve-Arsenal link to look at, and that's the fact that Arsenal are trying to sign Artur right now. Um, Arteta's made it very clear that he feels that that area of the field and, um, needs strengthening. He, he needs some more... Guile, somebody that's more on his wavelength, somebody that can be the trigger in midfield for, for his attacking players to, to set things off. And he's identified Artur as somebody that's probably available at the right price, possibly on a loan. Um, and he likes his style. Um, don't think Allegri particularly does like Artur's style, from what I'm told. Um, but this has got to suit both player and Juve if it's going to happen. And Artur's a bit concerned that this, if this is just a loan until the end of the season, that you know, he might. It's going to take him a little while to to settle and adjust to the the pace of the game and how different the Premier League is from Serie A, particularly in midfield. Um, and that once he does start to do that and establish himself, he's, he's back at Juve. So he's a bit worried about that. So he'd like a longer term deal if it's going to happen. And I think Juve would prefer that if he is going to go, that that it's just a straight deal. Uh, and they end up paying out for him. So we'll have to see how that one advances too. Obviously, there's loads of Juve midfielders right now being linked with transfers. Uh, Ramsey, McKenney, we've already talked about. And Ben Tanker, of course, is, is being linked with Aston Villa. And, and yesterday, I got, I got a text saying that they have um, now made initial contact um, over signing Ben Tanker um, and that the player is interested in playing for Aston Villa. So... Look, it's complicated for Juve because they've got to be careful, obviously, about who they do let out. While they not might not see a long-term future with any of those guys, they can't let four central midfielders Yeah, leave all of your midfielders. Week. Gone, die. <laughs> Just Locatelli running around in the middle on his own. Yeah, um, he's a good player, but I'm not sure he can yeah. do that. Joe, you know, there's part of me that's, that's saying, you know, Artur, just take a look at what Arsenal did last year, this time last year with Martin Odegaard, because they signed him on a loan and then eventually made him permanent. And, you know, a year later, he's flying. But... 
I'm pretty sure that they let Erdegaard have his... Uh, they gave him the run of the Europa League, didn't they, to get himself bedded in. And Arsenal, for the first time in forever, don't have the Europa League. So opportunities for someone like Artur to really bed in, they will be scarce. And I think it is a fair concern for him. Yeah, I mean, he's going to have to play straight away because Shaka and Partey are just taking it in turn to get red cards. And so there's, <laughs> there's, there's always going to be a hole there to fill. Absolutely. I mean, look, there's there's a lot going on here. One of the things that was thrown around, I mean, I don't know if Arsenal are just uh, on the hunt for any Serbian forward that will join them. But um, there was rumours yesterday that they might have been offered Luka Jovic as an alternative as well. Um, I mean, I, which... think it, I think he would be good, but I'm told Jovic isn't going to go in this in this window and he wants to stay for the rest of the season and then and then go in the summer. So um, we'll have to see whether that is the case. But I've thought for a while that, that Jovic might be a decent fit for Arsenal. Um, especially with a point to prove right now and um, even if it was a short-term loan because he obviously does want to make things work at Madrid. I don't think he wants to sign full-time. But yeah. um, there's, there's no signs of Aubameyang's situation changing, although you know, with a few days left of the window, you're now thinking, well, they're going to have to find a way to fix that, aren't they? Because if they want to offload Aubameyang, he's just going to lose value week by week from here, lose if he he play, no yeah. form. Um, so does Arteta attempt to mend that bridge, to attempt to get him back on the field? I mean, they've had such a breakdown in communication that it seems difficult. But what you could do, just leave Aubameyang out for four months? Yeah, it doesn't seem likely. Not when they're not scoring goals at the moment. I yeah, think that's it's tough to do, element. isn't it? Um, just to go back to Vlavic, I think. Yeah, just wind it back to the big bomb yeah. there. I mean, Jack, you're sat here in a Fiorentina shirt right now. Uh-huh. I know this one's hurt you. He didn't play at the weekend. I know you feared the worst when that was the case as well. Like, mm. Is this a 70 totally million blue, deal or, or an 80 million deal or something? Just probably going to, I think it's 60. There the, 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 was the number being thrown around. Well, 75 yeah. million euros, yeah. yeah 75 million, million euros. So. so um, Good grief. They, they can't really turn that down. You know, yeah, no, 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 I mean, no, look, I think this is it. I tweeted about it yesterday, but obviously players leaving Fiorentina for Juve has hurt over the years, right? For Fiorentina fans. Bernadeschi was pretty bad because he was a local lad. Chiesa was worse, but it did feel like, you know, you can't hold back a player of Chiesa's quality, you know, for, for too long. This, I think, is going to set the... Fiorentina world on fire um, and we're already starting to see it right this is going to set passions ablaze obviously when Roberto Baggio left before the turn of the millennium there were riots in the streets in Florence um, you know there were genuine like fires everywhere there was a lot of people hospitalized it, you know things got really ugly I don't think it's going to get quite to that level um, but I, I do think that there's you know Yes, obviously, there's quite a lot of visceral anger at the moment, and that's going to end up boiling over. Um, but I don't blame Fiorentina fans for being angry, right? You talk about respect, you talk about appreciating you know, your players wanting to play at the highest level. But if you run your contract down to sign with your team's bitterest rivals, you're going to get a fiery reception. You're going to incite a lot of anger, right? There's going to be a lot of messages, a lot of posters. We're seeing them already, right? We we, we saw one this morning that said respect can't be bought with goals, Vlavic. Um, you know, Fiorentina fans call Juventus players and fans hunchbacks um, because they're lucky in that they get refereeing decisions all the time. That's the the, the kind of term that's used uh, from Florence to Turin. Um, there's already a lot of messages that are worse than this. I saw one earlier saying your bodyguards won't save you this time. Um, it's got uh, it's got angry and it's got visceral really quick. Now, obviously, not condoning any of those things. It's that they they're horrible and they need to be you know not used in that manner. But I can see why people are angry, right? You can see, especially last game, there was the whole apologies to everyone. There was the whole hands up, all of the above, trying to, you know, kind of lay tensions to rest. And then to left out of the squad because you're trying to force through a move to, to Juventus. Especially when the teams right now are as level as they've been in years, right? The two teams are, are pretty much on a, on a par in the league. These are two teams pushing for maybe that last Champions League spot, or maybe the Europa League slots below, below them. That's why this is going to hurt. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I just want to look out for as well from a Juve perspective. Um, Morata could well leave before deadline now as well with Vlavic arriving. So um, Barcelona, one to look out for there, trying to trying to make something happen. Hmm. We spoke about that earlier in the window. We're very um, busy, aren't we? <laughs> it's just a very strange one, isn't it? There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Um, very good. Well, there we have it. Five storylines to keep an eye on between here and the end of the window, uh, which means that the floor is turned over to you, Sam, for something a bit more niche. 
Yeah, you say a lot going on there, but for the three players that I've picked, there really isn't a lot going on. And this is why they need to move clubs almost immediately. Um, And we're actually going to begin by going back to Sevilla. And Jack, you mentioned Papu Gomez's future in relation to the acquisition of Anthony Martial. Mm. And of course, last week, Sevilla signed Jesus Corona from Porto, who came in and played immediately off the left wing. Now, I know he can play sort of all off the right side or on the left wing. He's quite versatile. But Sevilla's depth chart uh, of basically attacking wingers uh, now reads as Anthony Martial, if you want to play him there, Jesus Corona, Papu Gomez, Suso, Lamella, and of course, the big man himself, Lucas Ocampos. And then there's Munir El Haddadi, who is just lost. He's well, totally he's lost. Gone, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, and he's not even playing for Morocco. I mean, I think they might play the day that we record. So let's see if he gets a game in the round of 16. But he's played about 22 minutes or something at, at the AFCON. He can't even get into the Morocco side. And it's because he's basically been forgotten at club level. He has played 244 minutes in La Liga this season. And he's got 200 in the Champions League. It wasn't that long ago, a couple of years ago, that he was good for at least well half the half the games in a season he would start and typically speaking whenever he's been given a decent run of games and chained together some starts he's generally returned about one goal every three games he's pretty two-footed he's a good dribbler he shoots from distance he's got a good passing range Munir is 26 okay he's quite far away from the uh, international tug of war between Spain and Morocco he's not that prospect anymore but he's a good player and he's seventh or eighth on the depth chart here for Sevilla. And it only gets worse as they just continue to sign more attacking players. I suppose the flip here is that Lamella's out till at least March and Suso's out till April. Is Suso out for that long? Yeah, it was was a pretty bad injury. So there's a a lot going on there. I still think there's probably enough players. They've signed two more players to to make up for that, of course. Yeah, 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 of course. Um, Um, But there is there is a little bit more there. I mean, I suppose mm. the other thing is that like Oli Torres has played wide at times as well, hasn't he? So mm. there's that element. No, I don't think that's probably the answer. And I don't think that's what. No, but I think Torres is another is another person to put into this conversation because you know we've seen well Sevilla have a clearly preferred midfield three of Fernando and Rakitic and Juan Jordan. And then they signed Thomas Delaney over the course of the summer. And they've got a couple more kicking around in there. And Oli Torres, another really talented player. I think he's 27 now. And uh, yeah, like Munir, seriously hyped at age 20. And it's just kind of, it's sort of just like joined together at Sevilla to sort of kick a ball around in the car park, I presume, because I don't play football for them. Mm, yeah, no, it's it's very good. And and also, I think that it, it would be a nice a nice pickup for someone. It's probably someone in Spain, isn't it? Both of these. They feel like this isn't going to be an international move. No. Um, no. But it, it does feel like they could probably do with, with the loan deal. But again, the, you know, with the season we're having, with the fact that there's, and we spoke about Martial in this exact scenario, right? Unless you get the offer you're looking for, you, what you'd keep them just in case because... Mm. There's so much in terms of this season that's a little bit hard to call that all it takes is one or two corona cases, no hmm. pun intended in this case, um, for <laughs> for them to be back in the squad, or at least back in contention. And then, then you get that opportunity. So I'd imagine someone's going to have to make the offer. I don't think they're going to be farmed out as such, no. but there is definitely room for manoeuvre. Yeah. There is, yeah. But for someone like Munir, like the, the idea of like, a Celta Vigo or something like that. Like it makes total sense to me in terms of that level. He's at, he's at least that level. He's a good player. Um, but I'll move on to my second player. And again, he's someone who's been basically completely frozen out. Uh, he plays for Roma, who've had a very, very busy January, actually. It's all been loans, but they've picked up Sergio Oliveira and Ainsley Maitland-Niles. And they said goodbye on loan again to Gonzalo Villar and Borja Mayoral, who've both gone to Hetafe in like a double loan move, which is... Kind of low-key awesome. Uh, Ricardo Calafiore, the left-back, and Brian Reynolds, the right-back, have all been loaned out. And I think there needs to be a seventh player added to this list of activity, and it's Carlos Perez, who clearly Jose Mourinho does not like. And I I can kind of get it. Like, he's not a very Jose Mourinho winger, is he? Like, you just look, he's a bit bit spindly. He's a bit technical. He's a bit slight. Um, The kind of player Mourinho loves on the wing right now is someone like Zaniolo, who's built quite solidly and um, offers probably a little bit more but Perez hasn't really had the chance and I find him a really a really strange player in that I think he's massively underdeveloped considering his age he is 23 years of age somehow Uh, he basically never gets to play football like he's got 322 minutes in Serie A this season 
He's never made more than six starts in a campaign. Never, never. So since the age of 19, when he basically got brought into the Barcelona setup very early on, he's never made more than six starts in the league. Now, I think that Roma are all in on Jose Mourinho. And I think that Jose Mourinho is all out on Carlos Perez. And he's a weird one because I basically consider him a 19-year-old in football terms. And he's quite a good player. His technical levels are really high. He's a good dribbler. He's a good carrier. He offers the odd goal threat. Okay, there's lots of things to iron out. Lots of consistency issues. But again, he's so raw in terms of his development that half of La Liga and half of Serie A could pick up Carlos Perez and probably do quite a lot with him quite quickly as long as they just gave him a chance and gave him a run of games. I find him a really strange case. Yeah, I, I agree with you in some ways. It's a strange one, isn't it, Roma? Because they play this kind of formation with two inside forwards behind, well, alongside Pellegrini in the kind of 10. So these mm. wingers are, are playing as kind of LF and RFs, really, aren't they? Yeah. So you've got Pellegrini playing as the kind of 10, and then next to him you'll have you know, either uh, the likes of Henrik Mkhitaryan or Zaniolo or El Shirawi's come on a fair bit. Shamuradov plays as the kind of Tammy rotator. Afenis Jan's played a little bit wide. Um, he seems to like the likes of, you know, Zalewski and obviously then further back. He started to trust him players, and I know you want Amadou Diawara out of there as well. Yeah, but I left him out of this one, mate, because there's only so much you can take of that from me, right? <laughs> well, I, I agree, but I can understand that when people, you know, when Abrima Darbo, when Eduardo Bove are all getting in ahead of Diawara, you can understand why he might want a little bit of a shift on. Um, and I think it's similar for Perez, right? He just feels like he's fifth or sixth choice in this in this winger's depth chart. And mm. the truth is, you know, and he's not going to go for that. I, I suppose what you could say is, is he going to get some games and? in the conference league, but actually it looks like that's Roma's best chance of silverware. And the chances therefore are maybe you play a strong team there. You pick up some silverware and Marino's got form for this, right? He picks up silverware in the league cups. He picks up silverware in the Europa league. And yes, those are the last two trophies that Manchester United won. Um, but and they were under Jose Mourinho because he pays a little bit more attention often yep. to the clubs yep. that other people write off. And I actually think it's a very clever strategy. Um, but it just means that is Perez going to get minutes there? Probably not either. No, no, I can. I did. I considered exactly this. I thought, oh, but surely because he played like three, four games in the group stage. Surely he'll get to continue that run. No, he won't. As soon as it gets serious, Zaniolo is playing on a Thursday night every single time. And so and it's not so, be... by the way, that Mourinho right. oh, takes totally these serious, competitions seriously. Correct. Totally fine. But Carlos Perez needs to get himself alone to Hatafe to join the boys, doesn't he, with VR and Mayoral? All of the Roma boys on loan at <laughs> Operation Crystal Palace down at Hatafe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, very good. Right then, who's top? Right. So last one, number one, a player I, I do actually really like, but just doesn't really get used ever. And he must be sick of it because I am. It's Roberto Gagliardini, who is now 27 play central midfield for Inter Milan. Or, well, I say play central midfield. He doesn't really play central midfield anymore. 423 minutes in the league this season and he's stuck in this pecking order. Obviously, it's Brozovic, Chalhanolu and Barella. Then Sensi is someone that could quite easily have landed on this list, but I want to see Sensi go and take a loan move. I see, I've seen links to Sampdoria. Uh, I want to see Sensi go and take a loan move for like three, four months, find his inner wizard once again, and then come back to Inter and play properly and get a role in this team because he's good enough to do it. He absolutely is. Galliadini, I think, should be looking more along that kind of permanent role because even as a substitute now, he's sort of slipped behind Matthias Vecino, which is a bit weird, and Arturo Vidal just keeps coming off the bench instead of him anyway. So again, we're talking about a player who's probably seventh in the list. And I know that Inter are fighting on multiple fronts, but when you're seventh in the pecking order for three spots, then you need to start taking a look at a few things. And Inter actually have a very good young midfielder out on loan, Lucien Agume, who I would imagine come the summer probably takes that seventh spot and goes into that developmental role. So again, I'm looking at Galliadini and I just think this is a player that half of Serie A could use. Yeah. And he's changed a bit over the years. I definitely, you know, five years ago, I was looking at him and I was thinking he looked a bit like the Italian version of Julian Weigel. Um, now, through some managerial changes and some coaching, I think he's got, he's added a bit more thrust to his game. He gets into the box a lot more. He's no longer kind of like a metronomic passer. He's much more of a number eight and can contribute in every phase. He gets into the box quite a lot and he can strike a ball, man. The long range passing is good. It's just... He can connect with the ball for a shot as well. He scores the odd great goal. This is a player who 
I'm half convinced that if he returned to Atalanta, then Gasparini could fashion something really quite weird and special out of him. He's that kind of player. And I'm just kind of sick of not seeing him come off the bench even. And it's uh, it's the old warhorse Vidal, or it's definitely past it, Matias Vecino, who's once again got the nod somehow. I don't have many bones to pick with Simone Inzaghi and his management, but uh, he doesn't seem to like Galliardini, and I really don't know why. I, I appreciate this. I, I think maybe... And I I know where you're coming from because I think he's probably a worthwhile starter for most most of these. But of these players, he definitely feels like the one most intrinsically involved in the squad he's in. Um, obviously, he's had 10 appearances, four starts, 10 bench appearances where he hasn't played. But he's been in the squad every single time since the 9th, well, the 12th of, or the 12th of September. So... You know, that's what, 20 games in a row he's been he's in always, the squad. He's always around. And he yeah. was always around last year as well. I, I'm not, no, no, again, I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I'm just, it feels like he's a player who is still part of this rotation. Whereas I think for the others that we've talked about just here, they feel further aloof. Like they, they feel more cut adrift from the squads that they're currently part of. Um, whereas Gagliardini still feels, I think, that you know, one big injury to Brozovic. I think Gagliardini starts. Now, I don't. I think you're right in that it's quite a weird one because he doesn't come off the bench because often what they're looking for off the bench is the thrust of Vidal or, you know, a calming presence. He's kind of neither. But mm. I do think he's the... If if <laughs> Brozovic was to get injured for six weeks, I think Gagliardini starts every one of those games so because with, that's with where I'm at. Into, into clearly hot C value in him, but his value exceeds his role they I get. Think, okay, is, fine, is essentially yeah. where it is. So, so these are players that I think need to go. And it's been, a, it's been a year and a half now of Galliardini like playing a really, like he's a good part of the squad. Great. But like, he's a really bit part player. He's better than that. Vecino actually isn't, but Galliardini is. Okay. All right. Well, there we have it. Three more players who need a move before deadline day. I'd imagine he might get that shift in the summer. I don't think he's going to be leaving before we get to the end days of this window. I think it'll be Sensi that heads out on loan, won't it? And then he comes back with a fire in his belly and uh, Gallardini leaves. Things we love to see, that Mm. as well. Right, after the break, we've got Men of the Week and, of course, the gibberish rankings. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for everybody's favourite part of the week. Dean? Floor's yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Thomas Partey. Poor old Thomas had one of the worst Thursdays you could ever imagine. <laughs> um, he started the day in Cameroon after he's, he was knocked out of Afghan and you know, thought, right, back to, back to my old day job. So he heads back to the UK, lands in, lands in London at, at midday. And... Um, Arteta's obviously got a bit of an injury crisis on his hand and he's think, he asks old Thomas if he could be on the bench that night. And he's very, very kindly said, yeah, absolutely. I'm very committed to this club. And at 6.45 p.m., he is named as an Arsenal sub. Um, 7.45, the game kicks off. Not sure any of us expected to see Thomas Partey play, but um, obviously Arsenal then fall behind in the game. They, they're 2-0 down to Liverpool and, and on 74 minutes, Thomas Partey comes on. Well, it doesn't get very good for him from there. Um, 87 minutes, he picks up a yellow card. 90 minutes, he's sent off. And then he's, le- he's left with this like groveling apology, um, which actually made me quite sad. But I mean, it's, it's obviously very melanish to, to come into a game and be sent off for two cards in four minutes at the end of the game when you're, you're desperately trying to do anything you can to actually get back in that match, not give yourself no chance. And the, and the second yellow was truly melanish. And, you know, he said, I regret um, what happened, but I, I can't change the type of player I am. Um, this is this who I am. I'll fight for every ball. And he does. He, he fights for every ball. And that's part of the problem here. Um, sorry, Thomas. I mean, I, compl- I think it's great that you came straight back and went straight back into the team. But didn't really help, mate. Melon of the week. I, I think this is... So his apology is... I did, I did, I did laugh at his. It was like a fully signed, letter-headed statement, which can was we, very can weird. We, can but... we cut this out of football? By the way, apology letters for like missing a pen or getting sent off. Like mm. it's just part of the game. It's just part like, of the if game. If you if you like do something properly stupid, like you have a party and get COVID, then all right, fine, you can have an apology letter then. But you definitely don't need to be doing this for like a tackle you made, which was a second yellow. It's just yeah. not that deep. It's not. But can I just say? some of the fault here does lie with Arsenal Football Club and Mikel Arteta because 
he he began the day in Cameroon. It takes quite a long time to fly from Cameroon to London. It's like seven hours or something or eight hours. It's a long flight. Could you go and play a high-level game of football after an eight-hour flight? No, he should never have been in the squad. And even if he put himself up for it, the club have got to be smart enough to say, you're not, physic- you're not ready to play this game because you've just done a long-haul flight. Um, no, you're not in the squad. Thank you for your... Yeah, maybe I should have given Arteta a medal of the week for actually Hang using on. him. He, there was a clear medal of the week in Thomas Frank, who not only managed to uh, insult Jaden Sancho for going to a funeral, but then got himself sent off at the end of the Wolves game. And I'm not quite sure what he was complaining about or why he decided he was going to go and complain to the officials. There was literally no wrong decisions. Yeah, I, I can't uh, bring my Brentford agendas into this domain. Mm, well, Shock! We'll Jack is putting Thomas Frank forward for men of the week. <laughs> I put Thomas Frank forward most weeks, uh, but I, I don't know what he was doing Arsenal, was, uh, last way, week. Arsenal are clear winners of Millen of the week, aren't they? Overall, wow! I reckon mm. we've had about eight or nine Arsenal in here. Yeah, mm. is there? You suddenly you get accused of having an agenda, Dean. That's the uh, that's the problem, mate. That is the problem. Well, there you have it. <laughs> That's the gibberish siren, and Sam, it's back to you. Yeah, yeah, back to me. Um, did you enjoy last week, week's? Got a, you got a week off. I was, yeah, I did. I guess, yeah. Um, but oh, I was. Nice. I've been pretty <laughs> eager to bring this. <laughs> I've been pretty eager to bring this this agenda to the table. So I was disappointed I wasn't able to do it earlier because I've seen a lot of moaning about the fact that it's really cold because it's winter. And um, I, I mean, I agree, it's cold. Um, and cold sucks. But there are good things in every scenario, and I feel like people should be more attuned to the positivity and the positive notes. And so I want to talk about the best parts of winter. Nice. In the same, because everybody's moaning about the worst parts. So these are the three best things about winter, according to me. Um, at number three is the ability to watch the sunrise at a reasonable hour. Because the sunrise is one of the most beautiful parts of any day. It's one of the most beautiful parts of life, actually. Sunrises and sunsets are wonderful things. And when the sun rises in the summer, it rises at like 4 30 or 5 in the morning or something. Obviously, I'm not going to be awake for that. There's no chance. However, in the winter, because it's nice and dark. I'm still awake. (laughs) (laughs) Because in the winter, it's dark all the way through to about 7 in the morning. Okay, fine. The drawback is it can be quite difficult to heave yourself out of bed when it's still dark. That is a real struggle. However, add the carrot rather than the stick, and the carrot is you get to watch the sunrise at 7 or 7.30. That's a reason to get out of bed. That's, That's a good thing. And the... The increased opportunities to watch one of the most beautiful parts of this world should be welcomed and should be cherished and should be focused on. I agree. Wow, very deep. Mate. That was deep, but I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, well, you right. wait for the number. You wait for number one. Uh, but number two is winter fashion. Now, as I've got a bit older and a bit wiser, I've started to much prefer winter fashion Correct. to summer fashion. Uh, I have quite a lot of different coats now. Um, I've got about eight or nine. I want eight or nine more. Rach is consistently critical, uh, saying that I should throw two away to get two more. But really, it's all about layers. It's about versatility. It's about different colors. And it's about expressing yourself. And you can do it a lot easier with winter colors and winter clothes and winter layers than it is with summer because summer is is basically just shorts and t-shirts, nice pair of trainers. And those that are really, really looking for some attention will wear a very loud and ugly shirt. Um, that's basically the way it goes. There's not a lot of variety and versatility to it, but in the winter, you can really change it up. You can really express yourself. And that is definitely one of the best parts of this season too. Yeah, I like this. My my favorite is definitely spring and autumn where you can like wear a couple of track jackets and you still can wear jeans. Um mm. but you don't necessarily need the big coats because if you're big coated up, like the chances are that often you can't see anything going on underneath it and it maybe takes away from what you're wearing under the under the under the top, under the hood. Um, maybe, but if you leave the coat open then you can bring in your array of scarves. Yeah, you know? that is true. That is yeah. true. Um, yes, very good point. Very good point. Yeah. I have an array of scarves as well, mostly football scarves, which makes them quite hard to wear out in fashion statements, yeah. but such is life. <laughs> such is life. Yeah. Um, okay, right. Go on then. What's one? And then, so from the sublime to the ridiculous, the number one best thing about winter is that the water is immediately cold when it comes out of the tap. You don't have to wait for it to cool down. That, to be fair, now, this is a really good point. Now, I'm very impatient. And so in the summer, when it gets a bit warmer and you run the tap and you're waiting for the cold water to get colder because it comes out quite lukewarm at the start, I get very annoyed. I feel like I'm wasting my time. I get quite irritated. In the winter, 
the water is cold from the second it leaves the tap. And it means that you're not wasting time waiting for it. It means you can get on with your day. And of course, freezing cold water is absolutely wonderful. So I spend less time at the sink, less time waiting, less time wasting my own time and more time drinking water. And that to me is a massive positive. <laughs> well, at least you, you don't have the problem I have where I have to run a bath for children every night. And I have the opposite problem though, where I'm trying to gauge, is it the right level of warm for them? Or am I going to scold them? Or are they going to be freezing? And it's cold for the first however many seconds. And I'm getting annoyed. I'm like, come on, just level out. I need to know what the <laughs> this water is so I can get on with doing something else while it runs. Ah, yeah, well, nah. that, you've got all that to come one day, you'll see. Yin yang. Yeah. Oh, look, I get it. I, I think you've <laughs> missed out one of the best things. Um, not only necessarily in winter, but in life, but actually I think you get it more in the winter. My One of my favorite things on earth, is walking up and seeing the like lights of a pub while it's raining. Like while the rain is like sheeting down and you walk up and you see like the sign of the pub as you're walking along and then the lights are on and you know you're going inside where it's going to be warm and there are delicious pints waiting for you. Um, these, this is one of my favorite things on earth, that view. When you're like, you see it sheeting down and you're like, oh, yeah. quick, like just like quick get to the pub as fast as you can. Um, I, I think it's one of the most underrated things on life. Do you spend a lot of time marauding about in the rain looking for pubs? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, especially like after a football game, like you know, you come out, well, you come out from the station often, and it's raining, or you come out from a stadium, and you're like, oh, the pub's over there, and you sort of like have to march towards it, and then obviously mm. eventually you get there, and you're like, this is great. Yeah, get inside. Yeah. A lot of a lot of their pubs have fires in there. Everyone's having a good time. It's enjoyable. Oh, fi- winter fires is definitely yeah, like in a the fire. top. Yeah, like top fire. five material. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, right. Well, well done, Sam. Very, very good. Um, and that. That is all we have time for. Yeah, it's been a, a bit of a bumper episode. We talked about lots of transfer bits. We had some great things we love. Um, a good melon of the week from the usual source. And of course, Sam's gibberish. That is a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. All's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Sam Tyler and God. Cheers, buddy. Thank you very much to our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Remember, everyone, you can come and join us on Patreon if you so wish. Come and find us, Ranks FC, over there, where you can get two extra episodes of this nonsense every week. Every week. Every week without fail. The Monday postbox, we look back at the weekend just gone. And, of course, the Friday spotlight, where we look forward to games. We're going to have something, well, we're going to have to work out something different for this week, considering that everybody's on an international break. Um, So that's quite an interesting one. We will get there. Thank you, as ever for listening I've been Jack Collins this has been Ranks FC we really do appreciate you and we will see you next week take it easy peace